0: How do you mine for the gold in your compliance program to demonstrate ROI to increase your compliance budget? In this special five-part podcast series with Nick and Gio Gallo from Compliance Line, I explore this topic. We take a look at what is ROI, how to calculate it, and more importantly, how to present that information to CFOs and senior management to increase your compliance budgeting. Now a quick word from Nick Gallo about Compliance Line.
1: For over 25 years, ComplianceLine has provided a suite of corporate integrity products that help you manage risk and reinforce your healthy culture. From case management and COI software that really saves time, issue intake and e-learning focused on the human element, and sanction monitoring that actually works, we are committed to making the world a better workplace for everyone. We're currently offering a limited number of free ROI sessions that will help you make the business case for more budget so your program can be more effective. These custom sessions will give you the right talk, tracks, and confidence to get the money you need to elevate. Reach out to us at ComplianceLine.com today to schedule your free custom ROI session.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Nick and Geo Gallo for our five-part exploration. Nick, let me turn to you, maybe change the focus just a little bit, because early on in my compliance consulting career, I was talking to a CEO. He said he wanted to do X. And I said, well, if you do that, you might as well get fitted for an orange jumpsuit. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, wait a minute, you're the lawyer. You go figure it out. And that told me a couple of things. One, that it really was my job to figure it out, how to do it legally without getting him in trouble. But it also taught me that simply because there's a risk doesn't mean it's illegal. Hmm. It's a risk. And the higher the risk, the higher the risk management solution you need. But If I could maybe use that to introduce the concept of greater risk in investing, Hmm. because it also occurred to me that if the risk is great, properly managed, the opportunity may be much greater as well. Yeah. So how would a, an investor type, whether it be a PE or a VC or others, how would you think they would think through looking at risk, managing risk, and what sort of models would they use that perhaps we as the compliance professionals could also use to help manage risk if with proper risk management, it creates a huge opportunity?
1: Yeah, I think what we're really talking about is kind of this relationship between risk and return and rather not the just existence of whether there's a risk at all. The amount of risk that someone is willing to take on in general is tied to the return that they expect or the return that they think is possible. So if I can pause for a sec, a lot of what we're talking about in this episode is trying to give... Some new colors to paint with, some new words to say when you're talking to finance folks, so you can speak their language a little bit more. And if, even if you don't actually understand all these concepts, at least appear to understand them at least at a high enough level to be talking across the table. So, what we're talking about to Tom's question is about risk and return. And we can look in the investing game across two big categories of investments in the alternative space one is private equity investing, and one is venture capital investing. So, a typical private equity investor is going to try to make a bunch of bets, and they are going to try to have a positive return on virtually all of those bets. The standard deviation, the volatility or the range of outcomes are going to be relatively more dialed in around what the upside is. So they're going to basically be protecting their downside by buying good businesses, so to speak, that are probably proven to some level. They're more mature. So again, that downside protection is there and they're going to be doing a bunch of different things. About They're going to be running a bunch of different plays on those investments or on that portfolio to have a relatively high confidence interval on a relatively sort of dialed in investment outcome with also the possibility for some really big pops. So maybe it's all of our investments are going to have a three X return and some of them are going to have a five or a 10 X return or something like that. So when all that, when the performance of that portfolio, gets aggregated together over that portfolio's investment life, it's going to settle out somewhere in that kind of three to five X return on vested capital. That's just illustrative of that type of approach to investing. There's another approach to investing on the other side of the fence, which has a much wider standard deviation of return, right? And that's like venture capital investing. So usually these kinds of companies are earlier stage, maybe they're not proven yet. Maybe they're not cash flow positive, maybe they haven't even found their legs Or their market or whatever. Maybe they're burning a lot of cash. So a venture capital investor, they're going to make a bunch of investments and maybe nine out of 10 of those investments are going to be a zero, but one of those investments is going to be a thousand X return. So somebody who built their career out because they invested on Facebook, first and foremost, they were probably in a bunch of other things that like crapped out for nothing, but that's venture capital game, right? There's a much wider range of outcomes they're usually like relatively smaller bets, but the potential for that one home run that actually goes out out of the stadium and over the parking lot will compensate for the losses that are taken on these broader bouquet of riskier
2: bets. Yeah. And I think that as we understand that a little bit better and understand that there's this wide range of how a finance person is going to think about risk, right? And it's not just, is there risk or not? Because the answer is there's always risk, right? Like even if you invest in, US Treasuries, which are commonly held as like, you know, kind of the safest thing you can find, there's still some risk in there. And people are talking about whether we're going to default on debt and all that. Risk is always present. So it's not kind of to the illustration you brought up, Tom, it's not, is there something bad that could happen? It's how do you manage the risk and what are we expecting out of it? As we understand that, we might say, you don't have to say this, but you could, or just present it this way. Hey, you know what? This is kind of a venture capital investment because this is really early stage. This program isn't really proven. I'm just asking for 15 grand to try to explore this. And this might be something that transforms our whole company five years from now, but we won't really know in the next quarter. So that's why it's a small amount upfront or, you know what? We're not going to kind of lose too much on this. Or you might say, hey, you know what? Like The benchmarks are there. Everyone's doing this. This is really important. We're behind on it. I know with Relative certainty, what this is going to look like. And this is just something that is just smart to do. And as you talk about that and understand that someone in finance is willing and able to have that conversation with you, not about the presence or lack of presence of a risk, but the magnitude of the risk and then layer in the potential return, I think you can have some of those more interesting conversations. And when I say more interesting, I mean that you can get more of what you want.
0: Nick, let me ask you I was always taught in a corporation the thing we wanted most was certainty, hmm. no surprises. How do you think about that concept overlaid with risk, risk managed, but also risk that might be termed volatile or even beta, recognizing that every compliance officer must maintain a certain basic level of a compliance program? So how can you accept either a beta risk or one that may have greater volatility still complying with the basic laws? around a wide variety of compliance issues?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think I'd push back a little bit on that tenant that we don't want any surprises. I guess unless surprises are just categorically bad, I don't think that's true. I think we wanna be open to positive surprises, right? Like, wow, that thing turned out way better than we thought, or man, we went into this market and we weren't really sure, but we put good guardrails around it and now this is our biggest region or whatever. Those kinds of surprises are great. And if we're trying to minimize surprises, period. I think we're going to close off opportunities. And so I think to your point, we have to sort of start to look at the risk relative to the potential reward or the assumed reward to be able to like more realistically articulate the shape of the thing we're talking about. And so I think beta is another concept that a lot of us don't think about, but is inherent to our 401ks and everything else. And beta is essentially the extent to which a particular investment moves with the broader market, right? So, You can use this as a concept to talk about an investment in your ethics and compliance space, or we can boil it down to talk about the stability of an investment relative to the market. And some things will have a positive beta or a negative beta or a high beta or a low beta or whatever, but the market goes up 5% and your investment goes up 5% with it. And the market goes down 5% and it goes down 5% with it. That kind of has a beta of one. If the market goes up 5% and it goes up 10 and it goes down five, and then the investment goes down 10, that means that it's more volatile and it's swinging more violently with market moves and has a beta of, in this case, two. So we can think about our broad compliance investments in this similar framework to say, listen maybe it has a beta of zero. Maybe this is going to generate positive returns for our bottom line, irrespective of what our business does. So whether our business is going up or it's going down, these investments that we as an ethics and compliance department want to make are going to reinforce our culture and are going to drop dollars to our bottom line, irrespective of what's happening with the top line. That could be a negative beta or a zero beta investment. That again, you just say that to a finance person, they're going to be like, okay, go on. It sounds like you have more than two dimensions. You know what I'm saying? You're not just a risk person, you're a risk and return person. So understanding that There is the potential for some investments, they perform particularly well in a down market. Well, if you're making ethics and compliance investments or taking steps within your program or getting budget released to actualize your program that actually releases the magic in the workforce by driving higher employee engagement and lowering turnover, for example, these are two things that obviously drop directly to the bottom line. Well, those things are going to perform well, irrespective of what's going on in the top line of the organization or irrespective of what headwinds the organization can be approaching or hitting. So just kind of tuning into how different things move together and understanding that just because something is going well, or just because something is going poorly at the top line level or at the broad sort of company level, the things that you're doing as an ethics compliance investor can actually do a lot to basically reduce the standard deviation of the organization's returns because you're affecting the thing that nobody else can affect finance can not affect it sales can not affect it and what i'm talking about is the people in the organization and the discretionary effort that they're putting forth
2: yeah and i think generally a lot of the exciting investments that a company's making that maybe are the new things that they're adding they're generally high beta investments right if you're spending another million dollars on a super bowl ad if you book it, whatever, in January, and then by the time the ad goes on, the economy's down, well, you're basically wasting all of that money because exactly. probably nobody is going to be buying based off of that, right? That's a riskier engagement from a beta lens because when the market goes down, you lose all of it, right? Maybe the whole Super Bowl ad is a complete waste. Well, a lot of those things are happening, right? These investments in a new acquisition or new development in technology or new marketing spending, those are all high beta investments that are going to swing a lot based on how well things are going. And a lot of what we're doing in ENC to next point are zero or negative beta. So I challenge people to go talk to your finance department and say, I don't know if you realize this, but for the portfolio of investments you make into the company each year, you probably have the best beta focused return on compliance team investments out of anything else that you're doing. Exactly. That's a huge point. If the market's up or down, these are still going to be good because treating your employees right is always a good investment. And also, we might be doing better when the market's down, your marketing and IT spend, because, I mean, we saw it during COVID, right? Companies that had a good ENC program, companies that had their act together going into that were less damaged than the average company, had less drag on them because people knew where to go. And they had clean policies and they had ways to be nimble and things like that. So have that conversation with finance and just see what they say. They might be like, oh, what do you know? Or they'll probably be like, okay, tell me more. Well, what do you mean by that? And if you just have that first statement and then they say, what do you mean? Just say, let me get back to you. Give us a call. We'll give you uh, something else to say. Just give
1: them this podcast episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Let me then ask you, Nick, because one, I want to see if I got this right, but this may unlock a lot of different conversations. So could we take the volatility uh, not being market volatility, but perhaps volatility around different geographic areas of the world. Hmm. So where corruption is seen to be high, West Africa, Central Asia, you name it, the place. But if you can come forward and say, my beta for compliance in this highly volatile market is relatively low or 1%, because we have a best practice compliance program that you've allowed me to invest in and we continue that investment. Is that an argument that could be made or did I miss? No, you
1: totally nailed it. And that's just another application of like how marrying these finance concepts with these ethics and compliance and risk mitigation initiatives and activities that we live in can be so powerful because we not only get credit for it, but articulate how this actually plays out in the dollars and cents that determine the success of an investment in a public market or the success of an investment in a PE portfolio or whatever. So what we're talking about is reducing the volatility, reducing the standard deviation of outcomes because we have dialed in, we have clear lines around the field or we have clear policies in place and people are actually understand them and are doing them in this relatively more risky environment, right? If we can compress and kind of compress the shape of the bell curve of likely outcomes due to our efforts, then not only is it likely going to improve the return piece, it's also going to correspondingly collapse the standard deviation piece, which is what the return is ultimately measured against on a risk adjusted basis. So yes, that's totally spot on. So If we can start to point to those things and articulate those things to these people in the finance world who just look at us as a kiddie table, well, pretty soon we're going to be sitting at the grown folks table because the things that we're doing are the things that end up creating headwinds for an organization and creating headwinds for the returns. When a risk pops up in one of these risky jurisdictions, like you alluded to, Tom, that can cripple an investment. That can cripple a quarter or a year or put a bunch of drag and shackles on an organization when it's really trying to accelerate forward. And if we can speak about our efforts in the terms of we're trying to reduce volatility of outcomes. We're trying to reduce the standard deviation of potential. Eventualities in our business. It has a knock on effect on both sides of the equation In the numerator that return is likely going to get bigger because there's less noise. Our output's going to be better. It's going to be cleaner. There's going to be less drag out there and the denominator that standard deviation is going to collapse because it just is because the volatility of the activities is lower. It's a really powerful frame. And I hope that we're articulating it right because even though I kind of come from this world and Geo comes from this world, the way that you just said that put on a massive light bulb above my head to really articulate this better. I mean, it's just so powerful. I can keep keep going on and on about it, but it's a massive, well put, Tom, because that's, I should show you the equation after this as well to show you like how it actually plays out in the expected return for an investment.
2: Yeah, but it's a great way to change the dynamic of the conversation because Tom, you brought it up and you said, hey, this investment in an emerging market maybe we're expanding over here. I think that too much then should happen. A leader in the organization is going to say, let's try to keep compliance out of this because they're just going to slow it down. And they're going to make it harder for us to make the moves that we need to move in this new market. I think if you can get into that conversation and say, hey, you're about to make a high risk, high volatility investment in this area, part of Our quarter next year or next quarter is reliant on this thing working. Let me get in there and help reduce the volatility of this investment because that's what we do all over the place is we make sure that the tail risk and all these crazy things that might happen don't happen. And if you can reframe that as, hey, let me rebalance my risk in this investment instead of, you know what? compliance is just going to be the brakes on this thing moving forward. And I guess we'll have to bring them in at some point. I think that would be a really powerful way for you to say, I know what your concerns are. I know that you want this thing to go forward. I can help make sure that it doesn't go backwards and trip up too much. Let me get in there and see if we can, you're making a $10 million investment. Let me see if we can make a $50,000 compliance investment to reduce the volatility of this investment. I bet you're going to get a different reaction out of that, at least curiosity, if not welcoming from the other side.
0: Gentlemen, this has been a fascinating episode, and I look forward to continuing this conversation.
2: Thanks, Until next Tom. time, it's been great joining you. This is Tom Fox again.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this five-part podcast series on gold in the compliance hills. More importantly, I hope you will check out not only Compliance Line, but their free offer for helping to show you the ROI in your compliance program and how you can use that in various investment models to obtain greater funding for your overall corporate compliance effort. This special podcast series has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to have a special podcast series for your company, please give me a shout. I'm at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can also check out the numerous offerings on the Compliance Podcast Network.